don't know about you, but I love a good movie. All right, any good movie. Good movies are great. But there's this moment in a lot of movies, my wife and I have this moment a lot, where we're like, is this based on a true story? Doesn't the movie seem more authentic when it's based on a true story? You're like, is it, oh, and you want to Google it real quick, but I'm like, I'm not going to, I want to see the whole movie first. I don't want to spoil it. I love a movie based on a true story. Last week, I watched a movie on Netflix called Operation Mincemeat. Has anybody seen that? It's a World War II spy movie. I won't give anything away. It's incredible, based on a true story. And the whole time, I'm like, I think this is true. I think, I think, it, I will spoil it for you. It is, it is true, but I won't spoil the story. It was amazing. And the whole time you're watching it, you're just like, did that really happen? Wow. Then you get to go do the research. It's a good movie. It's a good story. But when you find out it's based on real life events, real life people, it just kind of changes it a little bit, doesn't it? One of my favorite, you know, made from a real life story is the movie Remember the Titans. Anybody with me on that? I love that movie. One of my all-time favorite movies, Denzel Washington plays Coach Herman Boone, and it's about the integration of public schools and there's these black athletes and white athletes that had to figure out how to do this. They saved the city. It's a big deal. You know, it's a, it's a really big uh, story, and the fact that it's based on a true story helps me know that I'm going back in time. You know, and I'm connecting with a people group and a culture that I never got to experience because of my age, and Here's the thing about those, you know, based on a true story movies. There's always the little present at the end and the post credits or during the credits. Do you know what I mean? There's the little slideshow that starts to play. And like you might see the real coach Herman Boone. Like, you know, it was Denzel Washington, but now it's like this is the real guy. And then and it gives you a little paragraph. It tells you what he did later. He went on to do this and he went on to do that and this and this happened. And that's a really good payoff because you're like, these are real people. Or there was this one athlete who was in a car accident and then some things happened. But man, he went on to be a Paralympic athlete and he did all kinds of good things. And when you see that part of the story, the story after the story, it really clicks into your mind like, this is real life. These were real people. When I get into the Bible, a lot of times I will, you know, just, I'm so familiar with the stories. I grew up in church. I grew up hearing about Moses and Abraham and David and, and the apostle Peter and all these people. And it's easy for me, I don't know if it's easy for you, to kind of get stuck in a mode where I, I, I don't think of them as real people. That ever happened to you? I mean, yeah, you're like, yeah, instinctively or intellectually, I know that they're real people. But it's like, no, but they're also just stories. But what I love about our Bible, what I love about the story of, of God throughout history is that archaeology and other historical, historical reports and geography and stuff actually map up and let you see, like, this really was based on a true story. And just like the stories that we see on TV that are based on true stories, the stories in the Bible, we only dive into, like, a quick moment of their life. Just a few moments. I mean, most stories of most people in the Bible, you get like this much of their life. You don't get their childhood. You don't get what happens after. You just get this one moment. But what's really cool is also in the Bible, there'll be some of those slideshow moments. Like you might not know exactly uh, what happened to them for the rest of their life, but you might see what their children did or generations later what they did or the impact of what they did in this time, how that affected people at another time. And so there is this like real life connection. The slideshow effect is kind of what I'm calling it. Today, we are in the final week, week five of this teaching series we've been calling Trailblazers. Trailblazers is a study of the life of Peter. And we started all the way back at the beginning, the first time we meet Peter. And we're near the end of his life as it's told in the Bible today. Peter, what we learned about him is, man, when we first met him, he was just getting to understand who is Jesus. Like, do I even believe this stuff? And, and Jesus calls him and says, I want to make you a fisher of men. He's a fisher of men. And Jesus kind of plays on words. I want you to find people and lead them closer to God. And throughout the story, we see this amazing character development of Peter. 
from becoming this kind of hot-headed, uh, I don't know, just a, a rebellion kind of minded guy who wanted to overthrow the government and have all these things, to a guy who understands his role in the kingdom of God, in this unique place where God placed him in the world. He becomes the leader of all the other disciples, and amazing story. Last week, we sort of closed the book on Peter's life with Jesus. Like Jesus, this side of heaven. Jesus has just resurrected from the grave. We talked about that some last week. And he hasn't quite gone back up into heaven yet, his ascension. But we do meet him with Peter on a beach. There's a breakfast. There's fish. Do you remember the story? If you were here, if you didn't, you can go check it out on our YouTube page or Facebook or our podcast. But that, you kind of close the story on Peter in the Gospels. But the cool thing is, there's some a slideshow effect that happens later on for Peter. You get to see some things that happen after his time with Jesus. And did it really take... And did the things Jesus taught him, did he really do those things? And did the things come to fruition? And so what I want to do today, just as we wrap up the story, kind of put a bow on Peter's life, is I want to kind of skip a rock through the rest of Peter's life. I want to see what did he do after the story? In fact, the three stories we are going to look at today could probably be like three more sequel movies to Peter's life. Uh, by the way, if you're wondering, I think that if there was going to be an actor to play the Apostle Peter, I think it would be Robert Downey Jr. That would probably be my choice. Um, I don't know who you would choose, but I feel like he would be perfect. Just like, I am Iron Man. I am Peter. When Jesus reaches the earth, end of his earthly ministry, uh, we get his first story with Peter. Okay, uh, If you're going to grab your Bibles today, we're going to be in a couple different places, two places in the book of Acts. So let me encourage you to open your Bibles. I've been encouraging you all year. Let's be a note-taking church. Let's be a church that brings our paper Bibles. If you don't do that still, that's fine. Open up your phones, look at them. We've got paper Bibles by the door you're welcome to use, or the scripture will be on the screen behind me. But we're going to jump in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. But let me give you this like background. So Jesus has just ascended back into heaven. He's proven that he's risen from the dead. He's appeared to over 500 people. It's this amazing, beautiful moment in in, in Jesus' ministry. And he comes to his closest friends, his disciples, and he said, listen, I need you to go back to Jerusalem. I've got a big plan for you, but first I'm going to send you a helper. Go wait for the helper. Now, I'm not sure they had a full picture of what the helper was all about, but they go back to Jerusalem. So when we pick it up in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it's the day of Pentecost. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. In one place. On the Jewish calendar, there was a, uh, a very important holiday called Pentecost. We won't get into it, but Penta, having that word five in it, it's actually 50 days after Passover. Passover is another major uh, holiday that celebrates the time of the Exodus in Egypt. And so 50 days after Passover, roughly 50 days after Jesus has risen from the dead, a bunch of people are coming into Jerusalem. This is the type of holiday, like a religious holiday, where people make a pilgrimage. So there's people coming in from all over the world. Uh, we're going to see where they're from in just a minute. And they land in Jerusalem, and there's food vendors, and there's parties, and there's all kinds of fun stuff. And it says here that the disciples were all gathered together in one place. For one reason, it was a party. I mean, it's time to hang out at Pentecost, and so they're doing their thing. In second verse, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, oh, one more verse. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, so I don't want to rush this moment. Let's just take that in, all right? There's a sound like a violent wind. Uh, it's been a little bit windy, rainy a couple days this week and some things like like Picture, picture during a hurricane, if you've been in Wilmington during one of those hurricanes, or a big thunderclap or something like, something gets their attention. And the second thing that happens is there's this like, 
The Holy Spirit shows up, but he appears as tongues of fire. I would love to know what that actually looks like. I've seen all kinds of paintings and artist renditions of what that could look like. It's an amazing thing. And then, not only that, but the disciples begin to do something incredible. They begin to speak in foreign languages. So I don't want you to picture some kind of a gibberish. I don't want you to picture some kind of like prayer language they're getting into. They begin to speak, and we're going to find out uh, it, later on in the passage that there are some specific languages that they're pr- teaching in or talking in. Look at verse 5. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Remember, people had come in from out of town. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Wouldn't that be a comfort if you're a long way from home, you've just traveled somewhere, and uh, you're an English speaker, speaker, and you're in a place where no one else is speaking English, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I recognize that, right? That's, that's, that's kind of this cool moment that's happening. We're going to skip on ahead to verse 13. Now, some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. I mean, how much do you explain uh, spontaneous fluidity of a foreign language? It's alcohol. Uh, but okay, here's our guy Peter, verse 14. Then Sp- Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice. He addressed the crowd. So this is his first, like, slideshow moment. The movie after the movie. The extra information. He says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now he's going to start quoting from the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They will prophesy. That word prophesy has got a a lot of nuance and a lot of meanings, but just understand it as they, they will preach. They will begin to share the truth of God. That's exactly what's happening in this moment. He says, this isn't crazy people talking, and they're not drunk, and it's not just a sideshow from a circus. No, it was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes the prophet Joel, and a lot of people in the audience would have been like, oh yeah, I'm familiar with that. You're probably not super familiar with Joel, but to a first century Jew, they would have been more familiar with the prophets. Joel wrote about this event hundreds of years before it happened. And so Peter quotes him. That's Joel 2, 28 through 32, if you want to take a note and read that later. And he says, listen, what you are seeing right now is this pouring out of God's Holy Spirit. So we skip to verse 22. He's going to clarify more what he's saying. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth. You heard of that guy? He wants to point out them. This is God Jesus. Now, 50 days ago, Jesus had been paraded through the streets. 50 days ago, there was this big hubbub about Jesus. There had been these small little... uh, you know, fusses with the local government. There had been a trial. There had been an execution. It was a big, big thing at Passover weekend. And so he mentions his name. And this is like not that long ago. This is headline news. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles. Many of the people in the audience had seen Jesus do miracles. He was famous for it. Wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Now this man was handed over to you. By God's deliberate plan and his foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. Do you remember that? It was only 50 days ago. (laughs) A lot of you were there. Verse 24. But God raised him from the dead. Freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. 
Skip to verse 32. And so God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear. So Peter's making this connection between this crazy stuff that's happening right now. I mean, they're seeing flames floating in the air above some people's heads. They are hearing people speak in languages that these, is that guy from Galilee? How does he know Italian? You know, like what is happening right now? Latin, I guess, is, I don't know. That's a different history time. By this time, thousands of people had gathered in the square to hear what was going on. They're watching. They're like, what, what is this? I mean, some onlookers are going on. And they're like, what's this? These guys are saying this guy, Peter's preaching. You know, Jesus, you know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now, many of these people had witnessed Jesus do the miracles. Others had seen him alive recently. We have accounts in scripture of him appearing to over 500 people. And so there's a couple thousand there, but over 500 people in and around Jerusalem had seen Jesus arrive alive since the, the, the execution. And so there's people like, yeah, 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 I saw him. Stories are starting to circle throughout. And here's the other piece of it. A lot of these people were standing in some of these same streets 50 days ago screaming, crucify him, crucify him. This is a palpable moment. This is a time where a lot of timelines converge and a lot of people's experience and time come together and then God shows up with a miracle to make sure that they don't miss it. Verse 36 wraps up his speech. This is Peter again. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And in verse 38 is the first time someone is invited to become a Christian. They didn't call themselves Christians back then. They called themselves, if anything, followers of the way or something like that. But he gives an invitation. What shall we do? What shall we do for this sin on our hands? What shall we do for the, the past and our connection with God? What shall we do? Verse 38, Peter says this, repent. First word, repent. Repenting is turning our hearts back to God, repenting. Whatever number of degrees you are away off course from God, you turn back to him. Sometimes a full 180, sometimes just a couple of degrees at a time. Repent, he says, turn your heart back to God and be baptized. So baptism is this, uh, it's a ritual that they were very familiar with. It's part of a lot of different parts of Jewish culture, but it's this, this ritual cleansing, this washing that you do. John the Baptist had been doing it. Many of the apostles had already been baptizing people uh, in this kind of first repentance baptism. They were familiar with it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This same Spirit that's been poured out today can be yours. It's a gift. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, that's me and you, and for all the Lord will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Check this out. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. That's a good day at church. 3,000 people are like, I'm in. 
I'm all in. And I want you to picture this scene. 3,000 people get baptized. I've been at a summer camp or something where like five or ten kids get baptized or something, and it's pretty exciting. 3,000. So I'm imagining the apostles step into some water somehow, and they get into this place, and they start baptizing one and then two. But before long, the people that they baptize are like reaching their hands out to their friends and family on the sidelines saying, get in here. And then they start baptizing them. Before long, people are baptizing people all over the place, and they're all wet and happy and full of the Holy Spirit, and it was a good day at church. 3,000 people giving their life to Jesus in this one moment. What a day of celebration. And at the center of all this is Peter. Do you remember when we met him? Hot-headed rebel. Guy who could always put his foot in his mouth and could never figure out which way to go. A guy that Jesus had to constantly pull to the side and be like, buddy, no, that's not what we're doing here. And Peter had the honor of getting up to speak and share this moment. And I don't think for a second especially after that moment on the beach that we looked at last week. I don't think there's a second where Peter's like, look what I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I think he was like, glory to God. This is real. This is a real life story. When we go all in on following Jesus, we get to play a role in leading other people to God. And I don't know what else I can learn from Peter's life if not just that. He gets plucked up out of obscurity, a fisherman from nowhere. He ends up in the center stage at the biggest moment in human history. Now, past the resurrection, there were a lot of big moments. But a big moment in the church, the day where it begins, is is what brings us here today. That moment, that, that assembly that they had that day, it continues into what we're doing even right now. The song that we sang about bring your kingdom here, build your kingdom here. Help us connect people with God. When we go in all, all in on following Jesus, Jesus, we get to play a role in leading other people to God. Okay, so that's the first story. I told you we're looking at three. That was a good one, right? There's two more. Second story. Fast forward to the book, in the book of Acts, to chapter 10. Okay, so we had this whole day of Pentecost moment, and there, but there's a big key that you need to understand about that moment. The people in the audience, even though they were from all over the world and they had walked in and they spoke all these different languages, they actually had one very important thing in common. They were all Jewish. At least broadly, they were all Jewish. It was very difficult to be in on Judaism unless you were full-fledged, born and bred Jewish. Now, some outsiders could come in, but basically to do that, they had to completely like become Jewish. They do all the Jewish things. If you want to be in our group, you got to do exactly the way we do it or you're not in our group. And so there is this Jewish believers and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. And they're like, Joel's a great guy and then all this stuff. But guess what it left out? Everybody else. There's a word in their language, and it's, it's, it's the language that we get from Greek, but they had one in Hebrew as well. The word means the nations, the nations. Uh, we translate it today as Gentiles, okay? So they talked about the nations. They were like, it's us and them. And up until this point, the story of God had been kind of a closely family-guarded uh, story. God was purifying a group of people. He was preparing the world for his whole promise for the whole world. But years and years and years and years and years and years and years ago before... Abraham, the father of that whole nation, had been given a promise by God. God said, all people will be blessed through your family line. Acts chapter 10, it begins. So we find Peter again, and uh, he's near a place called Joppa, uh, which I think is modern day like Tel Aviv, but he's, he's kind of in that vicinity, and, and he's got this crazy moment. He has this dream. 
And the dream is wild because he's, he pictures this, this, this sheet and it's full of all kinds of different animals. And it's a weird dream. Dreams are weird, okay? But this isn't just a dr- weird dream because he had like Chinese food too late at night and his stomach is weird and he's having like weird dreams. It's a dream that then becomes confirmed by something that happens like as soon as he wakes up. So he wakes up from his dream. In the dream, he gets this clear picture that, wow, God seems to be opening up his message for the whole world. And he's saying, listen, some things were clean, some things were unclean, but now I'm saying everything's clean. I'm going to let everybody into my party. Everybody can come. And so he has this dream, and then he wakes up, and the craziest thing happens. There are these three guys at his front door. Knock, knock, knock. Hey, Peter. And he goes to the door, and they're like, hey, listen, we work for this guy Cornelius. He's a Roman soldier. Uh, but he had this dream, this crazy dream. And I tell, tell him about the dream, and Peter's like, for real? He had this crazy dream? I just had a similar crazy dream. Uh, and they're like, well, cool, because Cornelius wants to talk to you about that dream. Peter's like, let's go. So Peter goes on, like, I think a two-day journey, and he walks to Cornelius' house. Okay, so chapter 10, verse 25, he's at Cornelius' house. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Peter made him get up. Stand up, man. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are all well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. This is a house full of people who were not Jews. Now, Jew, Peter does bring like a little posse with him, so there are some Jews there. But these are all Gentile people. He says, but God has shown me I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Quick time out. This is an interesting cultural sensitivity thing that I, I noted this week. I was like, huh, as modern Americans, we would never get away with saying that someone was impure or unclean, especially out loud. Like, you might think it, but like, we're such a, a socially conscious culture that we're, we're constantly thinking about race and diversity and equity and inclusion. And these are good things. I'm not talking down on them. But we would never be like, I just don't hang with them because they're dirty. But that's exactly how Jewish people spoke about Gentiles. And so he says this thing. So what Peter is saying right now, and the Gentiles knew it. I'm not, God didn't approve of the way they spoke about them, by the way. But he, they would refer to them as dogs and stuff like that. And the Gentiles are like, yeah, 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 you guys are jerks. But so the thing that Peter's doing right now is monumental. I can't over-explain for you how much a big deal this was for Peter. We, we can't. You're like, yeah, sure, I, I believe it. But it's a huge deal for him. And while he walks in this room, it's like the Holy Spirit kind of nudges Peter. And he says, hey, it's time. The promise that was made to Abraham that all people will be blessed through his family line. This is it. It's time. Verse 34. Peter began to speak. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And then for six more verses, he goes on and talks about the story. He talks about Jesus and he goes on. But in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message the circumcised believers, that's the Jew people in the room, the Jewish people in the room, who had, heard, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had now been poured out even to the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. It's the day of Pentecost all over again. But this time it's in Cornelius' house with a bunch of Gentile people. And then Peter said in verse 37, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. For they have received the Holy Spirit as we have. So once again, Peter's in the middle of God's action. What do we learn in following Jesus from Peter? About following Jesus from Peter. Um, 
it's incredible to me that, like, it's rare that someone in here might be part of, like, a monumental, world-changing event. Like, you might have been somewhere, some of you, you know, I've met people who were on the ground at 9-11 or who've been involved in some major, it's, it's rare to be involved in one of those things. G- Peter, he got to meet Jesus in, the, in a fishing boat when he was just a fisherman. Like, that, that's one for him. It's like, sweet, this, I met Jesus, that's incredible. Not only that, he gets to follow Jesus for, like, three and a half years. He sees all these miracles. He sees people raised from the dead. He sees miracles of people being fed with food, all these incredible... Peter has hit gold, okay? He has seen more than one life-changing monumental event. Then he gets to witness the resurrection. Boom! Jesus shows up. Hey, I'm here. What? Wow. That wasn't enough from God for Peter. He gets to be present on the day of Pentecost. But not only that, he gets to be the guy that gives the sermon. And now he's standing in Cornelius' house. In what may be the biggest moment of the story, when finally God's promise opens up to the whole world. I don't know if you get excited about this, but you should. Because most of us in this room were probably not raised Jewish. Most of us are not from a lineage that comes from that original Abraham lineage. I know DNA and me or whatever you're going to do online is going to get you some, some, some cool background. But the fact that you and I can stand here, whether you're from European or African descent or somewhere else, and know that God's Holy Spirit is available to you, it happens right here. In Cornelius' house. This is another thing I believe I learned from from Peter about following Jesus. Look at this line. When you follow Jesus, you witness the promises of God being fulfilled. And it's not always going to look like Peter who gets to see the resurrection right away and gets to like see miracles all the time and gets to be there at Pentecost in Cornelius' house. But I can tell you that in my life of following Jesus... I constantly see Jesus' promises standing true. That God doesn't let us down. That God provides. Following Jesus makes a difference. And we learn that from Peter. Third story. This is much shorter. Peter never gives up. That's like the last kind of big hurrah we see from Peter. I mean, he kind of pops up in some stories. But he, he never gives up. He continues. Church history has all kinds of other stories about the Apostle Peter, even down to his eventual death. But in this time when Peter was alive, the primary way, if you were a leader, if you wanted to communicate with your people, was to write letters, right? This is before Zoom calls, this is before FaceTime, of course. And so he's writing letters, and it's really cool. We actually have two of Peter's letters that he wrote to the church. We have them in our modern Bibles. They're called, conveniently, First Peter and Second Peter. And so if you wonder who wrote them, normally it's in the title. And so this is, or that's for this too, also. Um, the Galatians or the Ephesians, the audience. But these letters are written by Peter. And from Peter, we get some, some messages from him. Now, I think this last little snapshot, this last slideshow piece from Peter's life is most relevant to us. At least in my estimation of who we are as a church family. Uh, we have been a mobile church for almost 10 years. Setting up these chairs and these lights and this sound system and the kids' classes and making the coffee. Most of you have been involved in that on some level, right? And it's, it's a thing that we do. We've been these wandering nomads. But for most of the world, when they hear the word church, what do they think? A building, okay? You talk about the church on the corner. The church with the big steeple downtown. I'll see you at the church, right? Most people in American English, when we say church, we're talking about 
a building. But we have learned this in the last 10 years. The church is obviously not about a building. We've had buildings burned down. We've had people, you know, close buildings on us. We've had people kick us out. Like, so we don't need a building. We can gather in a park. We can gather in people's houses. We can gather here in a gymnasium. It doesn't matter. The church is the people. The church is the assembly, right? So this is something we talk about all the time. This is old hat to you guys. You know it. But here's the thing. This must have been what's on Peter's mind as he's writing to the church in the book of 1 Peter. So the last one I want to look at is 1 Peter chapter 2. And this is probably one of my favorite passages. I don't think there's a scripture I've preached on more here at Venture Church or in my life than this broader passage. But I just want to look at one little piece of it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says this. You, church, you, like living stones, are being built. Picture it. Brick on top of brick, stone on top of stone. You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Not a physical house, the church on the corner, the church downtown with the big steeple. No, a spiritual house made of people to be, why? Why does God build us? Why does God build community? Why are we having a men's cookout and a ladies' night out and, 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 and small groups and all Why? To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When you think about worship, on any religion, there's generally a holy place, a temple of some kind. And in this temple, there's generally a holy person. And that holy person's job is to help you connect with God. They may offer sacrifices for you. They may say prayers for you. They may give you advice. That's the priest. But in the kingdom of God, it's different. In Christianity, it's different. And Peter wants us to know that. He says, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a spiritual priesthood. The old school theologian would call it the priesthood of believers. Everybody. You don't have to come to me so I can pray for you. Like, because you can't pray on your own. You don't have to bring your friend to one of our elders and be like, hey, listen, they have something going on. Will you pray for them? Yeah, you can, and we will. We want to pray for each other. But you can go directly to the throne room of God on your knees praying to him. You are a priest. If you have God's Holy Spirit living inside of you, if you've repented and turned from your sins, been baptized into his name, and committed yourself to walking on that path, welcome to the priesthood, pastor. <laughs> well, you're not just sitting around doing nothing. You've got a job to do. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we mean when we say go shine light in dark places. You've got to get out there. You got to go to the people in need. And they don't have to come to the temple anymore because the book of 1 Corinthians says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when you meet your friend at work or a stranger on the sidewalk, you're there with the temple, you're the priest, and guess what? You can go directly to the throne room of God for them, pray for them, offer them help, step in however you can, and invite them back to the church, the people. Do you have him? The Holy Spirit? He comes down at Pentecost. He comes into Cornelius' house. And we're told that when we accept Jesus and we are baptized, he comes into our life. But my question is, do you, do you have him? Sometimes it can be hard to discern. Like, I don't know. I was baptizing a kid one time. His name was Ashante. I love Ashante. Really, he was taller than me. And we were in a classic baptism. And I went to baptize him. <laughs> and look, I've baptized a lot of people. Um, I accidentally hit this kid's head on the side of the thing. Dunk. 
He said, boom, and it just goes, boom, and he went into the water, right? And I pick him back up, and he said, whoo, I felt it. I felt the Holy Spirit. I was like, that's right. <laughs> he comes in. Sometimes it takes a little bit more for some people. Oh, my goodness. But guys, I know that most of you in this room are following Jesus, that you've been baptized in his name, that the Holy Spirit has come to move into your life. But, like, so what? What are you doing with that? Are you taking that into the world? Are you making a difference in people's lives? Are you making a difference in your family? Are you just living like the filth of the rest of the world? Does it alter and change what we input into our minds and to our ears? Does it alter and change what just exports from our hands and our feet? Or we're just in the club. I like to come to church. It makes me feel good on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Put a little money in the offering plate. Get a tax write-off. Feel real good about it. That way when I die or get married, someone can be in charge. No. No, you get a direct connection with the living God. And when you follow Jesus, you get to see other people be helped, and you get to see his promises come true. How do we follow Jesus like Peter? <laughs> I love that even after the Gentiles come into Peter's life, um, he's a bonehead one time, and he's kind of a little bit racist accidentally. It happens. I mean, it does. And he didn't mean to, and, and, and Paul comes in and reprimands him. He's like, look, dude, the Gentiles are part of the club now, and there's this whole thing. I love that about Peter, not that he made a mistake, but that be, because he was able to make a mistake, and God still used him. What do we learn about following Jesus from Peter's life? It's like, just be you, and let God be in you. <laughs> and God will use you. Guys, we are the church. Um, Last week, I was uh, able to go visit my granddad, uh, Homer. Homer Steins, Homer and Peggy Steins are my grandparents. They sometimes watch our sermons. So what's up, guys? I love you if you see this. Um, but uh, I got to sit with them, and, and they're amazing. They are rock stars. They helped plant several churches, including my home church. Uh, Homer was involved in founding an organization that's now called the Church Planters of Eastern North Carolina. Uh, we support them as a church. They plant churches like Restore Church, Canvas Church, Movement Church, Two Rivers Church. You might have heard some of these churches. Aaron Collins just went to a church that they planted years ago. He was involved in starting that organization at the very beginning. Um, and uh, he's 89 years old. Uh, and he is still preaching every single Sunday. When I'm 89, I just, I'm sorry, Papa, but like, I just want to be taking a break, okay? My man is still doing it. The thing is, though, he is deaf as all get out. I can say that because you can't hear me right now. And uh, so we're in there sitting, and I have to, like, yell really loud to talk to him. And a couple times he doesn't pick up what I'm saying. My grandma here is fine. And he's like, it's okay. She'll fill me in later. It's great. So I'm talking to him. It's a sweet moment. And the guy has been a faithful, a faithful kingdom worker. He's been a preacher his whole life. And, and he's recognizing that he's getting to the end of his race. And we had a really sweet moment. He said, Chris, while you're here, I want to tell you something. I want to tell all my grandkids this. He said, I was reading the book of Joshua recently. So near the end there, after Joshua's done all he can do to help lead the nation of Israel into the promised land, he's standing there, he's looking over, he can see the promised land. And he says, my time on this earth has, has come short, and I need you to know something, family. There's two things I've learned. Number one, God's promises have never failed me. He said, Chris, I want you to know that. In all my years, it's been hard. And I've worked through a lot of things, but as I followed Jesus, his promises have never failed me. Don't forget that. He said, but the second thing that Joshua says is this. His warnings have never failed either. He said, Chris, I, I love you and I got to tell you, his warnings never fail. Take heed to them. 
listen to what the Lord is saying. And I recognize, because I'm smart enough to see that this is a special moment between me and my grandfather. And so I screamed at him, thank you, Papa! He said, huh? No, that's actually true. I did, I did yell at him. Um, if your life were a movie up to this point, okay, the credits are beginning to roll. Was there a moment in your life where you chose to follow Jesus? And everything changed. Can I just invite you if there wasn't? Let's make that day today. Your movie's not over. We never know when the credits are going to roll. But can that be today? Brothers, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a promise for you and future generations. Make today your day. As this chapter closes, what will your little slideshow feature at the end be? Where do you go from here? Like, I hope that one day, when you get to have that moment with your grandkids, you can tell lots and lots of stories about how you saw people's lives change and about how you saw the promises of God come true. But it always begins right here, right now. You have that moment, you have that opportunity. Will you be a trailblazer? Let's pray.